This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Derek, that's Winkler, that's Horn. Here's the thing, guys. We just got through saying this off air. Matthew 5, if you were a pastor, you could exegete Matthew 5 for a calendar year. And so with, uh, as I told you, whenever we told you we were going into Matthew, we are ending our study of Matthew on the forging table on Easter 2024. And so while it would be probably prudent to probably stretch this conversation out, uh, we're just going to dig in and do our best. We're going to try to give you about an hour's worth of content on this. But my encouragement to all of you would be spend this next week before we move on to Matthew 6, really digging into what's here because there's so much here. I mean, you just hear people mention the Beatitudes. That's here. You mentioned the redefinition of, of lust and anger. That's here. You mentioned, you know, the fulfillment of the law. That's here. Salt and light, you know, uh, the, the lamp unto the world. Like all that is in Matthew 5. So we're just going to go ahead and dig right in. So I want to read just the, the first verse. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so um, the Sermon of the Mount, this is the beginning of it. It goes through the end of chapter 7 of Matthew. So he goes up on the mountain, just like Moses did, to deliver a message to his people. Um, and he sat down to deliver this message. But then we get into the Beatitudes. So Derek, if you can read 2 through 9, we're going to kind of break the Beatitudes up a little bit. But go and read 2 through 9. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall have mercy, receive mercy. Sorry, Joby. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It just makes me laugh every time we say, sorry, Joe, because I know he's laughing at us as well and with us, sort of. Um, A few things I wanted to point out. What would probably be best, guys, we didn't really talk about this, but if there's one that kind of sticks out to you here, we can kind of go over that before we move on. But, well, yeah, Yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, for each of us, kind of one as we move on. Um, But the one thing I did want to point out from the beginning is blessed. That is basically indicative of a deep joy. So it is of... It, it provides deep joy to fill in the blank. So those that are poor in spirit or those who mourn or those who are meek. Um, I do want to make sure that we talk about meekness. But in this first chunk here, is there one for you individually that sticks out again to the audience? We're, we're just going to do our best here because there's so much in this chapter. We would love to dig into all of them, but we're just going to dig in here and there. I, I like how you brought up blessed because it's a term that's like happy or fortunate is how I looked at it. Blissful. But the ones that really stick out to me are the first uh, two. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is he talking about the poor? That's what I used to hear all the time. It's like, well, he's talking about poor people. And it's like, he's talking about blessing poor people. And I'm like, no, when we look at blessed, we're looking at how happy and fortunate are the poor in spirit. Because what they're going to find is they're going to find the kingdom of heaven. They're going to find God. They're going to find, you know, someone who realizes their wretchedness and spirituality and their, um, they're, and they're, they humble themselves to, you know, their, sim, their sinful, I would say, narrative or, or how they're living sinfully. And then the kingdom of heaven has provided this grace. So it's like finding that you are not this person that you think that you are and that there's a God out there that's going to save you. And then blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. 
So when I find out what my sin is, and I know that I'm a sinful person and I, I'm wretched. And what that is, is I, I mourn my, I mourn that. I'm like, oh man, how did I live my life that way? Why did I, why was I so selfish? You know, um, how come I didn't put God first? And so now I mourn that, but then I know through that, that I'll be comforted knowing that Christ is the person who stands before me in front of God to show, you know, the salvation that I do have and, and to be that, that cup. Yeah. I think that mourning one was, is very, you know, it's, misinterpreted a lot. I think when you talk about mourning, it is that spiritual, the emotional and financial loss even that comes from sin. Uh, it's the, it's not the loss. Like if you follow Jesus and that costs you something, that's not mourning that you're not mourning that loss. That should be, you should have a gratitude for that loss. The, but the flip side of that coin is, yeah, I've sinned. I've done something, you know, I, well, this did not happen. So Stacy, this is, I'm just, this is an, (laughs) this is just an example. I cheated on my wife. I've lost half my stuff, right? I should not be, that is, I'm mourning my financial loss, but I recognize that I'm going through a divorce because I cheated on my wife. It's my sin. I'm mourning that loss. And I confess my sin because I should be poor in spirit at that point. But do you think mourning your, your sin is more of like a true repentance yeah. in the fact that like, let's say I live a, a life outside of what is biblically, you know, biblical sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I, if I want to go ahead and keep living my life and what is, you know, antithetical of biblical sexuality, have I truly mourned the sin of my repentance? No, I haven't. I, mm-hmm. I'm still going down the, the path that I've gone. Right. So we're talking about, you know, mourning, you know, who we were before Christ. And now that through him, we know that there's forgiveness and there's salvation. And that is what comforts us. Derek, you got anything? Anything yeah, I, just, I think it's, I don't know if it's funny is the right word, but it's kind of like, blessed are the who mourn, blessed are those who mourn. It's like, happy are the sad. Yeah. And then I also wrote down, yeah, kind of like what Ryan is saying, I'm mourning over my sins, but I'm rejoicing or I'm happy that I'm forgiven. Yep. I'll also say the peacemakers, blessed be the peacemakers. Uh, it's people who are promoting the messianic peace. This is, I, I wrote down here, Neville Chamberlain tried to be a peacemaker. I don't think it went really well for him. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that blessed be Neville Chamberlain because he tried to make peace with Hitler. Um, this is a discipleship call, the peacemakers. It's I'm going out and I am discipling others, bringing them to Jesus where peace can be found. So you are a peacemaker at that point. Go ahead. ahead, Also like blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And like, as a, as a believer, like we want to thirst for righteousness, you know, God, God's law is beautiful. Um, when, when we talk about Christ, we talk about Christ came to fulfill the, you know, we'll talk about this later in the chapter about fulfilling the law, the ceremonial law, but the God's law and what it is and who God is and, and his, and his, and his perfect and his perfectiveness, you know, and perfect in who he is. Like, that's what we should seek. You know, we should seek that righteousness. And then when we do, we will be satisfied because if we're seeking what the world has to give us and we're seeking what we think, you know we need to give us and what we want, you know, and what the world can give us. We're not going to find satisfaction in that. We always find satisfaction in who God is in his, in his perfect plan. 
Right. And then in verse five, I love talking about blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Again, Jordan Peterson basically taught Christians that have been Christians for a long time what meekness means here. Uh, Meekness is that you're submitted to the will of the Father, but you have supreme self-control, but you're also very capable. That's the thing is most people think, oh, it's virtuous to be weak. No, because as Jordan Peterson and a lot of people have rightly pointed out, a weak man is not a useful man. A weak man is a useless man because it's not virtuous if you're weak by default. That, that's not virtuous because you are incapable of anything other than weakness, right? And so, but the, there's the difference between the person that's very capable, that's always looking to use it, the person that is very physically capable, violently capable, and they're always looking for an opportunity to prove that to somebody, as opposed to the person that is capable of that type of violence. It's, as has been pointed out, it's like having a sword, knowing how to use it, but leaving it sheathed. And so that's the thing that I think is important there that most people read is blessed are the meek and they think they need to be a navel gazer now that they need to, you know, no, please after you and they need to constantly have their shoulders slumped forward and oh no, it's not about me. It's about you. And that's just not really what that part of it means. I mean, the Beatitudes themselves are literally, I mean, you could read through these. This is, I mean, Jesus is kind of describing himself here. No. And would anybody describe Jesus as meek? Yeah. Well, I think the problem is, is there are people that would certainly do that. Yeah. Because they're not reading the scripture in their totality. They're mm-hmm. reading Jesus's words without personality. They think his description of clearing the temple, which we see evidence that that happened twice, not just once, once at the beginning of his ministry, once at the end of his ministry, that, oh, that wasn't really like aggression. It was more like an expression of something. They just get into these mental gymnastics. It's like, <laughs> no, he saw what was happening. He left, he made a whip, he came back and he drove out the animals and the people. Mm-hmm. It was a violent act that Jesus did. And so when people are saying, you know, what would Jesus do on the menu of options is something like that. And then you'll have other people who was like, well, Jesus did that. He didn't tell his disciples to do that. Again, people want to just wrap themselves up into, you know, all these, you know, theological, uh, you know, pretzels. But it's just like at the end of the day, righteous aggression and violence is not. And we'll see later on in this chapter, like violence in and of itself isn't bad. It's how it's used. We talked about it last week. He's fully God and fully man. What about the Old Testament God would make you think he's meek? Yeah. What would make you think that that kind of righteous anger would not be on the menu of options? I, 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 I'm like, you are reading different scripture than I am. But I think one thing that we look at with the Beatitudes is I think MacArthur said it best. He says it shows a heavenly blessing, a heavenly happiness that's opposite of the worldly path for happiness put the mic in your face <laughs> that you have done this I'm, way too I, often I, I, I pulled a robert to violate the Wasn't microphone robert thing. doing this last time robert's got the I, strongest silkiest voice but whenever you're back here talking like this nobody really understands <laughs> what your voice I'm like, is but my nose is a little runny so i'm afraid that's to, like, okay just not right into the microphone yeah. but again but, guys there's or go ahead ryan but yeah just like if you look at it you look at the beatitudes it's the opposite of what earthly happiness is. Well, and the other thing I will say, I think it would be easy. I mean, we're talking to men. I think it's easy to look at these. And if you don't really understand them as a man to read through these and goes, I, I, this isn't me. I can't do this. I'm, I consider myself to be strong. I don't want to be meek. Uh, I don't, you know, my peacemaking or my mercy would only extend so far, you know? And it, it, I think that, it, it does get in the way a little bit, but again, it goes back to how much are you diving in and truly understanding what he's saying here? Yeah. I, I mean, 
reading this and then like reading it back when I was like at a church that didn't really like, how do you want to say it? Really pushed what the Beatitudes really were. Like I looked at this as like almost a social contract, like blessed are the poor in spirit. And so it's like, oh, we need to figure out way, ways to bless the poor. And then blessed are those who mourn. Like you need to mourn with your brothers. Like that's what they mean by mourn. Like, you know, when something bad happens, when you mourn, when you mourn with your brothers, that you'll be comforted by that. I think there's actually something up with my microphone because I'm talking directly into it and I'm hearing it. So it's because your voice is coming up and then it's coming down. It's my Matt Chandler. And it's, yeah, you're doing your Matt Matt Chandler right now. So try to be consistent and not like on the, I literally almost drew a roller coaster just to do a note. But (laughs) you're not David. We'll see how it goes. You are not David. (laughs) All right. Hey, Winkler, read uh, 10, 11, and 12. Okay. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for, they, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the distinction that I think is important here is when people are persecuting you because they are doing these things falsely. Okay. There are people that think they're being persecuted, that they just suck. They're like, oh, I'm being persecuted in my friend group or at work or at school. And it's like, you might just be bad at your job. You might just be a bad student. Like, but if somebody is giving a false witness as to who you are as a person, it's because you're a Christian. That's what's being talked about here. If you're persecuted for righteousness sake. And so that, that's the difference that I wanted to kind of draw a line for people. It's like, look, this is not indicative of every time you feel bad or have negative feelings, you know, going through your head that you're necessarily feeling persecution. Again, people will leave a sly comment on your Facebook post where you had a scripture and you're like, oh, I'm being persecuted. It's like, (laughs) no, like this is, we're not even talking about these categorically the same. I thought you were leaning in. I thought you were getting after it. Go ahead. You were reading. That's okay. But I mean, in in terms of, of how that goes, that's a very, very important thing for us to realize is you could be going through stuff right now and it could be problems of your own making. Mm-hmm. Not every negative thing that happens in your life is coming from Satan. Like some of those things are your doing and some of the times you are the one that's keeping blessings from coming to your own self. Some of that is punishment for your sin. I mean, yeah. It's look, we 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 are we are saved from our sin through the grace of God, but it doesn't nowhere does it say that yeah, and by the way, your punishment goes like you're not going to bear any of the consequences of that while you're on earth. You're not, you're not completely absolved of it. It's still just justice still applies. So some of those things that you could be going through, it's like, yeah, God's saying that you're going to have to live this out. This is a consequence of your sin. Yeah. And you're not just going to be saved from it because part of it is like you made your bed, you're going to have to lie in it. And you know, when people will sin and then they're like, wait, but you're a Christian, you're supposed to forgive me. And it's like, you can be forgiven and still have consequences. Like you can murder somebody and then the family that of the person that's been murdered can forgive you, but you're still going to go to prison, mm-hmm. right? Like that you, you still have wages that, that need to be paid. Absolutely. So uh, it's not like they're seeking righteousness, you know? I mean, that if we're talking about those who persecuted for righteousness sake, for this is the kingdom of heaven. It's not like they were pushing for righteousness. So I think it's a little bit different. Yeah. Let's go ahead and hit the salt and light. So Ryan, I'm going to give you a test here. You're going to read 13 through 16 and then you're going to put your face into the microphone and then project (laughs) your voice through it. That's how this technology works is if you talk directly into the top of it, it should work. 
All right, here we go. Right like on top this. of it. Let's go. I'm right on top of Let's it. Let's go. I feel like I'm kissing it. Like <laughs> it gave okay. me a Klondike bar. <laughs> yep. Klondike bar is waiting for you. <laughs> if you didn't listen last week, you have no idea what we're talking about. But all right. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Be an adult. Sorry, Sorry Joby. <laughs> Sorry, Joby. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do the people light, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all of the all to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Is your microphone working? It's Weird. working, but I have to get like right up on it. Right, right. It's, yeah. it's almost like someone told you before we started recording, like the first time you recorded with us like a year ago, yeah. that if you talk like right on top of it, it should work I out. feel like I have to buy it dinner now. Nope. Don't buy a so. dinner. Don't, don't whisper any sweet nothings into it unless it's going to be, you know, good content. The thing with the salt and light passage is to me, feel free to disagree. Mm-hmm. I feel like this passage is a clear call for Christians to influence the world. Absolutely. Okay? So we aren't to hide from society and culture. Right, because you've heard before, if salt is not salty, it's not a preservative anymore. That's part of its job. But also, if light is withheld, there will be darkness. So we talk about equipping men to be able to push back darkness. Part of pushing back darkness is infusing light, right? And so, but but I the reason why I ask that is because I didn't want to presume anything about about you guys and how you feel about the scripture. But there are a lot of people that look at this and they still kind of go with the Benedict option, which is I'm going to create my own world like outside of this and you know we're in i'm not i'm not dogging homeschool just let, let me make my point it's like right because we have homeschoolers here at this table but it's like we're going to homeschool and we're going to create businesses that are outside of the the normal channels and we're going to go to this church that you know doesn't do things that the world does and it's like they think what they're doing is honoring to god but what they're not doing is being salt they're not preserving the world around them and they're certainly not speaking into it because i think people that kind of set themselves up that way they think well we're not going to be flamethrowers. We're not going to be prophets, you know, yelling at the culture. Like, that's not good. That's not my personality. It's like, that's not what we're talking about. It's you are hiding the light that you have from people that need it. So correct me where I'm wrong and, you know, soften where it needs to be softened. Salt and light. I mean, it's kind of interesting. He's using salt and light here. They have, they only are like, their effects are only felt when they are both distinctive from their environment, but also fully involved in it. As an example, I mean, when you put salt on your food, it doesn't just dissolve into it. It sits on it and you can mix it, but it does not, it still sets itself apart. But even talking about salt, just not to interrupt, but like, it's a good thing that you're saying because even when salt is being made, it's, um, you know, Jesus is alluding to like the dead sea salt, which mm-hmm. can mix with other things and lose its saltiness. Mm-hmm. And so not only before, when you put it on something to get its taste, it's even got to be, you know, well, within itself. You're talking about, yeah, there's many uses of salt. Like in the ancient world, there was the preservative side of it. Yep. There was the dietary element of it. Yep. But then there was also like, it was even used for fertilizer for some yeah. soil. Yeah. And so the disciples are going to enhance the growth of the God in the world. Uh, that's fertilizer. You're going to uh, provide a God enhanced kingdom seasoning to this world with their presence. That's the dietary side. And then you look at uh, they're going to uh, how they would influence uh, the influence they would have on the moral decay of the fallen world. 
That's the preservative side. Very well so Jesus is literally putting all of that. I do like, there was a quote I got from Pliny uh, who said, there is nothing more useful than salt and sunshine. That's a, Derek, that. what say you? <laughs> We're just going to keep teeing you up the whole yeah, I time. Guess, I guess so. Um, I well, I, I guess my question for you would literally be is, as, as we said and kind of poked fun at, you are more of a slow processor. You're not like the social butterfly. Like, you're, you're nice when people get to know you. They, they like you. But it's like when you see something like this, for someone who's not wired to just talk to anybody like the other three people at the table, how does something like salt and light apply to you? Because it's like you have a different approach than we do. Yeah, I mean, for me, I guess it's uh, trying to be set apart at my job or just to be different. I'm building relationships, trying to uh, not be in the world, but be in the groups, be involved, but have something different. I can build a relationship with these guys and then lead them this way. So maybe more of a uh, slow cooker, yeah, uh, smoker type, not searing. Yeah. So you're participating in light with them in life with them, but you're not doing all the things that they're doing. Right. Right. And so I I think that that's good for people out there that are more so like that because it's easy to point at the person that has kind of that magnetic personality that's constantly moving and shaking people and challenging people and be like, Hey, that, that guy's being salt. It's like, but there are behind the scenes folks that are being salt as well. It's just not, there's not bright blinking neon signs on their lights. You know what I mean? Like, cause again, the lamps at this time, they didn't put off a whole lot of light. Like these weren't, you know, modern in any way, shape or form. And so, but it was just enough light. And I'm reminded, I think it was in the Psalms or the, it's a, the word is a lamp unto my feet Mm -hmm. when we want it to be a floodlight. Like, but it's a lamp that just, it shows you just barely enough to where you can get to that next rock. Right. (laughs) Right. And we want to see five, six, 10, a hundred, you know, stones in front of us kind of where exactly are we going? And we'll get more into that uh, in in Matthew as well. Well, Within the saltiness, like if you look at today's pragmatic approach to Christianity, I feel like we're losing that, that preserving form of our salt and that, that being scripture. And we're putting on a light that is not the true light that mm. God wants. And I think that's something that we've got to look at is that what kind of saltiness are we bringing? Are we bringing a saltiness to preserve who we are and preserve what scripture is and us as Christians? Or are we bringing a salt that's like, hey, you know what? This might taste good to you. I want to find what tastes good to all these people to bring them in. And then, you know, maybe I can shine a light. Like, I, I think one of the things that I think about that is like, well, you always hear the people like, well, if they brought one person to Christ, was it worth it? You know, it's like, like I could walk into a strip club and bring one person to, to Christ about the five lap dances before it, you know, like, <laughs> is that okay? You know, I'm like, I'm like, no, I mean, we got to see, you know, we've, and I've said it multiple times and multiple times before. I love Spurgeon. I, this is my favorite quote by him, but we are not responsible for the souls that are saved but by the gospel that we preach and how we preach it. And so what is that saltiness that we're bringing to this day and age? Are we bringing a saltiness of like, I need God. I need God to change me. Or are we bringing a, a saltiness of God's for you, who you are and where you are in life and just right where you're at. He created you that way. And it's like, it's the wrong saltiness. Well, it's almost like you can buy fake salt. I don't know why you would, but you can buy like prop salt 
that's not actually salty, doesn't actually preserve anything, doesn't actually do anything. And so that's kind of a good point is your pastor putting out, you know, Ted talk, you know, business advice, leadership advice, is it moral therapeutic deism or is it something that's gospel based that is actually going to lead to being a preservative? So I think that's a fantastic point. Derek, can you hit uh, verses 17 through 20, please? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Go ahead and do verse 22. 20 as well. Oh, sorry, you you just said it. (laughs) Good grief. I saw Kingdom of Heaven twice. Sorry, Joby. Mm -hmm. I haven't done a Sorry, Joby in a few episodes, so that one's all for me. But the the thing that I wrote down on section 17 through 20 is this is a great section for the red-letter Christians to reckon with when they're like, well, I just, they focus on the red letters and they put that above all the other, you know, red letters and words, or they put that above all the, the black letters and words. And I love what Vody Bauckham said about this is he said, like, if you believe in the Trinity, then they're all red letters, right? Mm-hmm. Father, son, and the Holy spirit. It's all, yeah. it's mm-hmm. all the same people. And so it's like love the, the reason why I like red letters in a Bible is because if I'm flipping through to get to a section, it's like, Oh, this is Jesus talking. It's just like a quick, yeah. it's a quick, you know, reference point for me, but it's like, I don't look at those letters and those, those words is any different because I do believe in the Trinity and how we got the Bible. And so that's what I yeah. thought of when I got to this section. Like New Testament does not ab- abdicate the Old Testament. Like yeah. it doesn't like, oh, this is new covenant. So everything in the Old Testament is wrong. It actually fulfills it. So like all the ceremonial requirements, that's what Christ fulfilled when he died on the cross. Like we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because we have the ultimate sacrifice. So there's not the ceremonial things that we need to do for sin anymore. All we have to do is believe and repent. Yeah, I think that's great. Let's go ahead and uh, move on to the next section here. Winkler, if you'll hit 21 through 26, and I'll make sure to pay attention to your last (laughs) sentence this time so I don't embarrass you. Sorry, Derek. Perfect. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to judgment to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So this is probably the first, well, I don't want to say that. That's kind of weird. There's a lot of paradigm shifts that Jesus has in even in his early ministry, but this is the first one, like, wait a minute. Like he moved the judgment line way closer than it used to be because for folks to you know, abide by Exodus 20, 13, the sixth commandment to not murder There's probably, there weren't people that were having to wake up, you know, every day and be like, okay, okay, you have this, you have self-control, you don't have to murder anyone today. Like that wasn't (laughs) like something that was probably a huge problem back in that day. But Jesus says, no, no, it's not just shedding people's blood. If you hate them, if you're angry with them, it might as well be murder. And like, that's like, wait, wait a minute. 
And I think that's his way. Here I am like assigning to Jesus motive, but that's his way of saying like, you think you're better than other people. I've moved the line. And we get that in the next section as well, where it's like, no, 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 we're moving the line to a, a very particular thing to encompass a lot of different things. I don't think he's adding though. I don't think he's adding to the law. I think what I don't he's, think he's adding either. He's okay. just showing you this is what what we mean. Like th- this is how much you're not going to be able to hit the mark. I, and and I, I think I agree on that. On that, but I think he's kind of showing the motive. The motive of both hate and the motive of murder are the same, and they lead to the same moral, sinful place. What do you guys think? I mean, I think it's just proving how broken we are and that even if I don't, like, I, like you guys are saying, I'm not, I'm not going to get in your face and say, I hate you, but I'm going to think it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guilty as anybody else that goes through it. Um, and like I was just, I'm just saying, um, we're broken and we need, it's just proving more that Christ is our only way to get through. It's something we do basically for me. It's what I'm seeing anyway. I think you have a lot of, emphasis on the dignity of human beings when we start going through much of what we're about to go through. Um, it's not enough that we don't take the life of a human, but don't do anything that demeans a person's dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis called that the weight of glory. Uh, so um, we should pattern our lives so that we promote our neighbor's glory over our own. This anger and, you know, don't just don't murder. It's like, okay, well, that's that's not that hard of a uh that's not a high hurdle to clear not being angry i mean honestly just driving over here i'm sure i probably you know exhibited you know this just over here i probably need to pray real quick uh, <laughs> but it is something where i think again it's heart change can you actually i think it's going to be natural that our emotions get the better of us i mean i think it's hard not to I think it's also just as important when you actually can, are a Christ follower, you have to be able to recognize when your emotions are getting the better of you and know that it's sinful and know that you need to pray and ask for forgiveness. I think that's where he's coming along with the repentance yep. because when it comes down to it, like with the law, it says thou shalt not murder. You know, this is what we're talking about. Well, you have to do an action. You have to actually murder somebody. So think of a Pharisee and a Sadducee uh, basically talking to him like, well, I never murdered anybody, you know, like I'm a good person. I've never murdered anybody, but we hear that now. Yeah. We even hear that now. Like I've told my wife many times, like, yeah, I messed up in high school, but I never got arrested, you know, but uh, she's like, wait, great bar, you know, but, but that's the point of repentance is like, yeah, you never murdered anybody, but in your heart and in your mind, you have hated your brother. You have hated this person. And that's where it comes to repentance in the Menatonia that I talked about last week and that you change your mind on how you're going to treat people. It's almost like bringing you to self-sacrifice. When also it's telling you, so back in verse 22 where it says, you fool, I think last week or the week before I said this was Luke 11. Maybe it wasn't Luke 11 as well, but here it is in Matthew 5. But when you're calling someone you fool, it's... Again, you could go back to see John calling the Sadducees and Pharisees a brood of vipers and be like, wait a minute, so we are to speak insults to people or we're not to speak insults to people, but think about the difference in motivation that's being described here versus being described there. Uh, I don't know who read last. 
Winkler. All right. Horn, 27 through 30. This is kind uh, of an extending. Re- What's that? About lust. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I waited. <laughs> I, I did this on purpose. do my gra- Matt Grassmeyer voice. Don't do it. Don't make it too sexy. You've heard what I've... No, 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 no. That's, that's <laughs> weird. That's weird. No, 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 no. That's like a Klondike bar talking yeah. right now. So just, just hit it in your normal voice, please. Uh, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So quick message to the people that say you need to read the Bible literally every last piece of it. I would like to refer you back to the part where you are to, uh, tear out your right eye and throw it away if it causes you to sin. So if you're going to be literal about everything in the Bible, you have to include those scriptures as well. But I think the thing here that's being, again, you you kind of took umbrage, Ryan, to whenever I said like added, like an added thing. But I, I do think, you know, the seventh commandment, Exodus 20, 14, when we're talking about um, adultery, th- this seems like a much different standard that Jesus is giving us. Because when that was spoken, the law was spoken by Moses everyone knew exactly what that meant and they would not have included what Jesus is including here. And so again, we're, we don't want to impugn motive on, on Jesus, right? You know, several thousand years later, but the thing about this here is it, it causes, especially, well, I'll say for, for women and for men, we've all adultered, which I I want to withhold until we get into that next section. Well, actually let's combine this. I want to read, I'm going to read verses uh, 31 and 32 because I think this is all part of the same discussion. So 31 and 32, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay. So sexual immorality, there is the word pornea or pornea. And that, you know, would describe adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, sex outside of wedlock, all those different things. So, it's the standard. Go ahead. You're telling me Christ is talking about homosexuality right now? Yes. Because a lot of people will say Christ. Never Sorry, Carl Lentz. Homose- breaking homosexuality. news. He definitely talked about <laughs> J.D. it. J.D. Greer, I think this is a loud portion. <laughs> yeah. Not a, yeah, not I, a, yeah, not a yeah, whisper. God, yeah, he, uh, we're going we're gonna to yell you, about the things uh, that the Bible yells about and whisper the things yeah. that, that it whispers about. Like, I don't know that God was whispering when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But um, the, so let's talk about these sections together. If this, if you have adultered, if you've looked at a woman and lusted, okay, let's, I'll use me as an example. So let's say uh, I'm out with my wife and, uh, you know, the waitress walks by and I check her out as she's walking away and I have a fleeting thought about sexual relations with her. Okay. In that moment, I am an adulterer. Kelsey has grounds for divorce in that exact moment. Mm. And so because I have some very, very strong thoughts on divorce, specifically in the church, specifically when churches will ordain and participate in second and third and so on marriages with people whose first marriages did not end because of adultery or death. And I have a lot of problems with that. But again, if the standard is, you know, you've already committed, if you had looked at a woman with lustful intent, all of our wives could leave us now. Oh yeah. All, all of us could leave our wives now. So I guess it's like, do we really have grounds to keep a, a couple from having a second marriage in, in our congregations? Because they could just easily be like, yeah, well, I didn't actually, 
you know, go all the way physically, but I went there mentally and Jesus calls this the standard. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It creates a, a very hard line because I've had discussions even recently with people who were wanting to join certain churches. And, you know, I knew that first marriages weren't ending because of death or divorce and they're getting married. And now it's like, is anyone going to tell her that, you know, he's making her an adulterer now? But, it, but again, mm-hmm. like, is he? According to this scripture, like that, that's I mean, hard. We're all adulterers if you look at it. And I, I mean, I hear where you're coming from 100%. I, I feel, you know, I'm about as conservative as the next guy. Love Reagan. But Reagan was a re- is the reason we have no-fault divorce here in the United States. It all started in California when he was governor. And I think no-fault divorce has taken away what marriage is as a covenant and has made it contractual or made it more, um, how does it fit me? So, um, I think that <laughs> I drew a I'm roller try- coaster track. And the problem is my- the problem is I'm trying to look at you when I talk to you. Don't look at so, me. So yeah, I'm not going to look at Don't you anymore. Look at uh, Winkler. I'm like, Hey Winkler. There it is. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, I see where you're coming from a hundred percent though. I mean, like if you're getting a divorce and it has nothing to do with adultery or sexual immorality. Yeah. What Christ says is you're, you're, you're leading this up to making them an adulterer. He even goes over it in Matthew 19 when he discusses that marriage is between a man and a woman and how a man will leave his family and cleave to his wife. And they said, but he said, divorce is not what God wants. Moses allowed you guys to have it because you wanted it. You know, we, he gave you what you wanted because, but it's not God's design. And so I think it, I think it's something to look at, but when I look at it, I'm an adulterer. I I've been, I was an adulterer before I met my wife. Um, and you know, that's something that we have a sin nature. Um, could my wife leave me because I find another woman attractive? Of course. Could I leave my wife because she finds Mark Wahlberg attractive? Probably. You know, Man, you had that one ready. I did. You had that one we, ready. We, there's go. a, there's a running joke in my family during COVID. We had to wear masks at home and I cut out a picture of Mark Wahlberg's face, put it on mine. I was like, Rachel makes me wear this around the house. So <laughs> this just uh, got weird. Yeah. yeah well, got pretty I'm weird. uncomfortable. Marky Mark Marky and the funky Mark. bunch, bro. Uh, but no, but I mean, but if you yeah. think about it, I mean, we have a sin nature and unfortunately, Sexual immorality in our day and time is so different. It might be not too different than back then, but it's, it's more accessible now. What about you guys? Because these I, back-to-back are hard well, to deal never, with. I was going to say that, uh, you know, while we were eating right before this, you were talking about the top three list that somebody asked oh, about. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like, why would you, why would you even be well, having explain, that? Explain what you're oh, saying. I, I, I can tell the story if you want yeah, me to. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. So we were at, this is we, not my deal. We were at, we were at <laughs> dinner with friends and they're friends actually from church. And they were like, you know, they're trying to make conversation. They're like, Hey, like, who are your top three? I'm like top three of what? Like top three of like, you know, famous people that if you could get away with, you know, having relations with you would, you could get away with it. Or like your spouse would be okay with your hall pass. Yeah. Your hall pass. Thank you. That's a good one. And so, you know, my wife doesn't miss a beat, you know, she's like Mark Wahlberg. So (laughs) (laughs) sorry, Rachel, I'm just messing, just messing. But like, we were just talking about wives and we're talking about, you know, like, you know, men, women know how carnal men are. And so like, I don't point out attractive women. It's not my, you know, it's not something I want to do. So when someone asked me that question, I was like, yeah, Brandon flowers from the killers, you know, like I throw out a guy, because I don't want my wife to be like, I have to put myself up to this person or this person or this person for, to, to go after my husband's attractiveness or what, what he's into. It's like, no, I love you because this is who God 
created for me to love and to go through life with. And we're going, you know, we're going to have our ups and downs. There's times she's probably not going to find me attractive or something. I, I guarantee that. But it's just like, these are the words that, you know, I like to go back to Peter when he talks about the, the woman being the weaker vessel. You know, and, and by weaker vessel, he doesn't mean the woman that's, you know, women are weaker and men have to, to take care of them and they're not smart or anything like that. It's like, no, they're an emotional vessel and they want to be loved and cared for just like the church wants to be cared for by Christ. And so if Christ were to be like, you know, like, oh, you know, you guys, you guys at this church are great, but this one's oh so much better, you know, like, no, Christ is going to love his people as he loves his people. I, I went off a tangent. Sorry. No, you're fine. I think it's, I mean. To this point, I, I, I guess I would say, understand that when we're reading through these, I mean, we simply are not going to bat a thousand on these. You can't do it. You can't. It's you perfection. can't do it. Yeah. You, can do it. Uh, you know, Luther recognized it. So again, I'm going to quote something. I got to read something here. So Luther recognized that the Sermon on the Mount cannot be an articulation of the means of entering the kingdom of God because it is impossible for humans apart from God's grace to carry out its stringent demands. Now, does that mean we have a hall passed? No. no. <laughs> justification. There's, there's justification for the sin, but now, now there's this sanctification that goes afterwards. Uh, and so I think a lot of people, whenever you read through these, and I think this is an easy one. It's like, okay, well, I find, you know, I saw this woman and I thought she was pretty. Yeah. Okay. That's sinful. And you're going, well, how would I ever avoid that? It's like, you can't. That's the point. You yeah. can't avoid it. <laughs> well, that's like, and that's the thing where we want to talk about, like, God only whispers about sexual immorality. And when you think about it, like, he just pointed out, cut your right eye out if it causes you to sin. Chop off your hand if it causes you to sin. He's not actually out asking you to do this. He's showing you the severity of yeah. this sin and how it's going to affect you as a person. So sexual immorality is a huge severity of a, of a sin that we have to look at because it's the one that's going to create kind of what we are. I think you also have to be mindful, especially if you're married, you're going to have to be mind. You're going to put up some guardrails in your life. I mean, and, and I don't mean, you know, I I'm sure it's helped a lot of people, but you know, I don't mean stuff like covenant eyes necessarily. I mean, things like you need rules for yourself. Okay. Uh, things that would basically say, look, I'm not even going to cross this very easy, simple line that is not sinful. I'm actually putting myself into a higher, a higher standard. I don't want to say higher standard. That's not right. But you're more creating sh- more distance between you and potential. Downfall. That's it. Yeah. So example, I won't hug another woman unless it's my wife, my sister, um, my mother, God rest her soul, or in, you know, or my sister-in-law. Uh, I won't do that. It's just, there's just rules. And then what happens is there are people who come up to me and they'll, you know, friends, wives or whatever, and they'll come up and they'll give me a hug and they'll put their arms out. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do this. This is breaking my rule. So you stiff arm them. I wish okay. <laughs> you, hugged them, didn't you? you hugged them. I hug them because, but at that point it's like, okay, I gave them a hug, but this is also like, it feels wrong because I've set a standard for myself that I'm breaking. And so there's never going to go. It's never going to go any further than that. It's kind of the same reason of, I won't go to lunch with a coworker who's a female by myself with just her. There's just needs to be boundaries. And um, I mean, because if you look at what, what adultery can be, I mean, flirting with another woman, Mm -hmm. that is adultery. So my line of work, I have to eat 
with females, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just what I do, but I, I've made the rule. I won't ride with him in my car alone. Mm -hmm. So if I have to meet up with a coworker who happens to be a female, I will meet her at the restaurant and we will eat. Yeah. Um, because you've got to set that standard. I don't hug. Right. I don't like hugging my friend's wives. Mm-hmm. Like they hug me sometimes. I just don't like it. Cause I don't like to get hugged. Like we have a, <laughs> we have two people in our group. That I, I, <laughs> Kyle hugs Ryan. Uh, uh, we have two now. people in our group and, uh, I, I love them dearly. Like one of them's, you know, her husband's my, my biggest mentor and he and I, um, you know, talk a lot, but she would always like, I kind of like rub my back, like at the mm-hmm. beginning, like when we were like mm-hmm. starting to go to group and I would be like, told Rachel, I was like, it's kind of awkward. You know, I was like, I'm not used to like somebody rubbing my back, you know, yeah. but like she does it out of like, <laughs> she does it out of, rubbing out back, of like yeah. a very nurturing aspect and like yeah. making you feel welcome. And the, you, you feel the love from these couples that right. the, both of them are very much huggers, Yeah, you know? And it's like, I had to get over that part for me. Um, but like, yeah, no, I but, see where you're coming but from. It, but I would love that rule. Yeah. But again, but again, <laughs> but again, but again, it's more about I'm putting these structures up. The Bible doesn't say don't hug another woman. Yeah. It, I'm putting these structures up because I'm like, no, I don't want it to go any further than this. I know yeah. this is wrong. So yeah. I'm not going for, you know, it's the concept of the guardrail on the highway. It's yeah. like, yeah, the guardrail doesn't prevent you from bumping into it. It prevents you from going into the next lane. Yeah. Um, so you have any guardrails, Derek? Right on the I, spot. Yeah. <laughs> He won't let me hold his hand. You don't drop bombs on terrorists that are women or something like that. Yeah, we try not to do. Yeah, Um, yeah. I know. I'm I'm building more guardrails as our marriage goes on. Um, You know, we've had you know things in the past where like, ah, I probably shouldn't have done that. That was pretty stupid. Um, so I don't. Nothing different necessarily. I don't. Yeah, like riding the cars by ourselves or whatever. Um, luckily, my line of work, there's not a whole lot of females in, uh, in our community. So sexist. We do have hey, some. I have a question. Could you fly in a cockpit if it was just you and a female? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to. <laughs> There's no getting around it. Um, and that, I mean, that's fine. It's not only just us in the plane. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, definitely trying to add guardrails as we see them and our eyes are open. I like, I like what you guys are saying. Well, and you also, um, you have to allow your wife to speak in to some guardrails. And so for me, like I'm a quick communicator, like I'll try to get things done quickly. Um, but it came up once here, even recently where I was texting some of my wife's friends just directly to ask them questions. Now, some of it would be like, Hey, your family is coming over to my house for dinner. Your husband doesn't respond to text very, very quickly. I know that you're going to probably respond faster. And so I would just message them directly. Now it didn't create a problem with my wife. It wasn't like, Oh, and then that led to an affair. No, it was just like, Hey, if you're going to text someone else, text both of them. Mm-hmm. And, but like in my head, that was going to take way too much time to add a second name mm-hmm. to, to a text thread or something like that. And so that was one of those things where it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't going to end up being a big deal, but yeah, I'll just do that from, right. from here on out because, and then some wives are like, might be like, Hey, why is Kyle texting me individually and not asking my husband, who is his friend. And it's one of those things where you, you have to like kind of listen for those times, because if you had something uh, for your wife that you wanted her to add to kind of the, the guardrail system or something like that, and she reacted negatively to it, I know me, I'm probably just going to go ahead and kill the person like that. Not my wife, the guy, like, because it's like, this is going to lead somewhere. And so like it, it, this is going to be potentially an issue. And so that's another thing as well. If you're going to add, uh, add those, 
those separators between you and potential downfall. If your wife makes a suggestion, you should probably roll with that. Um, I, I hear you on that. Cause like when you were getting your surgery done, it felt weird t- texting Kelsey on my own. Yeah. Cause like for me, I do it. I do. She was with you. So, right. yeah. Cause I, you know, for me, I don't really care, but like if your spouse cares, then, you know, do your best to try and care. Cause care will lead to understanding at least hopefully. Uh, Derek, could you read 33 through 37? Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or for its throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, some people have taken this section of scripture to be like, a Christian should never enter into contractual agreements, <laughs> which that's not what this is saying. Essentially, again, it's, it's elevating the words that you use. So when someone says, I swear on my grandkids that I would never do such a thing, it's saying to you, your yes should mean yes, your no should mean no, that we should treat, uh, I forget uh, who said it this way, I wish I was smart enough to have come up with it, we should treat all communication as if it's under oath. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in a courtroom and someone asks the, you know, during cross-examination, they ask you a yes or no answer. It goes into the record as a yes or no answer or yes or no question. You give a yes or no answer. But if you fervently say yes or fervently say no, it doesn't change the category that the answer is in. The category is in, he answered in the affirmative or he answered in the negative. He answered yes or he answered no. And so that was just one of those things because even initially I was like, wait, all signed contracts are sinful? And it's like, no, that's, that's just not what that is saying. And so does anybody have anything else on that before we move it's to the next chunk? you know, flippant and careless oaths yeah. is basically what, he's, what they're getting at. And then also, you know, oaths that are used to deceive people. So how many people will be like, hey, man, if you give me all this money, I swear to my grandkids or whoever that I'm going to double your money and then they take off with your money. You know, and so it's just talking about flipping oaths and oaths used to deceive people, not because if you look back into the Bible, you know, there's covenants made between God and people all the time, which are stronger than contracts, but God's making oaths to them. Well, and part of this, one of my biggest bugaboos, and I talk about this every January when, when I do my how to avoid being a crappy man episode, but especially now, and especially for young kids, for, for people out there with teenagers, like if your kid just shows up on time, bathed and gives a little bit of effort, they're outpacing all of their peers because they're showing up late, disheveled, they act like they don't care. They want you to know they don't care. They're in a customer service job and they have one AirPod in and they're, oh, I'm sorry, sir, what was that? When Because they're having to pause the Netflix show they're watching or the podcast they're listening to because they can't be bothered to do their freaking job that they're getting paid to do. That's one of those things as well is like, be a reliable human being. So if you say, hey, can you be here by two o'clock on Tuesday? The answer is yes. Unless something dramatic has happened, I will be there. Hey, can you have this project done by Friday into business day? Yes, I will absolutely do that. And if you continually are that person, like when it comes up for promotions, you're going to be right there at the top of the list for promotions. When it comes to people needing to rely on you, just think about it. Who, who do you go to when your life starts falling apart? It's not only people that you trust, it's people that you know you can rely on. Because you have these jack wagons that are fun to hang out with and they've got a lot of friends and all that. But when you're going through the crap, they're not available. 
That's why I talk about the difference between a 6 p.m. friend and a 3 a.m. friend. It's like you got those people that are really fun and really cool to hang out with, but if it's after 6 p.m. on a weekday, they're probably not going to answer their phone. Who are those 3 a.m. people that you know that you can rely on? Are you going to be that person? You know, I talk about building your foxhole. Are you a foxhole guy? It's one of those things. It's like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And when the people around you know that, the, the level of dependency on you in a good way should increase. Um, whoever is supposed to read next, because I've already forgotten, the Winkler, we're back. 38 through 42. We're going to camp here for a little bit. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So if there were a top 10 list of scriptures that were used incorrectly, this section of scripture, specifically the, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Anyone that is a pacifist Christian has used this exact scripture incorrectly to say that we should never be, bi- be violent. A couple of years ago, I did a debate on Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. What's that guy's name? I debated. forgot his name. Um, <clears throat> anyway. It's that English dude, wasn't it? No, it was, it was a guy from like Tennessee. But anyway. Oh, Shane. Shane Claiborne. Claiborne. Shane yeah, Claiborne. He- <clears throat> anyway, so uh, he goes around the country convincing law-abiding gun-owning Christians or just law-abiding gun owners to come up to the stage during his presentation and destroy their firearms. And it's because of, he takes some, you know, scripture in Isaiah two out of context, like turn your, you know, swords into plowshares, swords into plowshares and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he's basically, what he's not understanding is that Isaiah two is, you know, he's basically talking about what Jesus will do, not what men should do. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And so, you know, so second amendment and self-defense stuff isn't even in the top 10 list of things that I talk about normally, but for this debate, I was like, yeah, I'll, I accept. And I will drag him into deep water and drown him slowly. And that's what I feel like happened in the debate. But he used this one exactly to where it's like, this is Jesus repudiating violence. But what he doesn't understand is we have to be very, very particular here. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. So in this day and age, as in most times, just about everybody was right-handed. So Derek, if I were to stand up and smack you on your right cheek with my right hand, am I going to be hitting you? It'd be a backhand. It would be a backhand. So think about it, guys. You're standing eyeball to eyeball with somebody and you just smack them on the nearest part of their face. You're smacking them on their left cheek, their left cheek. In order to smack them with your right hand on their right cheek, it is a backhand. So not buried, but right here in plain sight, it's smacking someone on the right cheek. The point here is a verbal slight, an insult. What Jesus is saying is that if somebody verbally insults you, turn to them the other cheek. Allow them to insult that side as well. Allow them to smack you there as well. There is nothing here in no legitimate scholarship that says that if somebody were to physically strike you in the face, that you should turn to them the other cheek also. If you've watched enough uh you know, world star hip hop videos and different things like that. You may only get one shot in the face. That's why like these, these parents that teach their kids, Hey, you know, never be the person to throw the first punch. 
It's like, that's a great way to get knocked out. Like, <laughs> like seriously, I remember Chael Sonnen talking about that. He's like, if you listen to someone like that, that is a good way to get beat up because some fights last one punch. That's as far as they last. Mm-hmm. So the moment someone enters your bubble, your bubble of safety, and they've got that look in their eye, it is incumbent upon you to protect yourself. And so that's the big thing with this particular scripture is it's addressing personal retaliation. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of telling you retaliation should not be over and above mm. what what is necessary for that situation. It should be equitable punishment. So if someone comes up to me in public and smacks me across the face because they don't like the way my face looks, and I were to take them down, mount them, and beat them to death with my elbows, that is not equitable punishment. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, this particular scripture is talking specifically about personal slights and insults. And so I'm very, very passionate about describing this because you know, people will talk about, they, they, even people on the Exodus 21, Le- Leviticus 24 and Deuteronomy 19 side, talking about an eye for an eye, they'll take that to think, well, I can just do violence to people that do violence to me no matter what. It's like, there are certain circumstances where that's not, where the best thing for you to do, the, the righteous moral thing for you to do would be to remove yourself from that situation. The number of guys that I've talked to that are tier one operators or retired tier one operators, black belts and jujitsu MMA fighters. Perfect example. I know I'm going long on this, but just go with me. So Cowboy Cerrone, uh, he just retired. One of the most famous UFC fighters during his tenure has a very, very big reputation for being just like a a real, real bad dude. So he is driving around his town and he pulls off into a grocery store and apparently uh, he had accidentally cut someone off in traffic. So that guy follows Cowboy Cerrone to the the grocery store parking lot. And as he is walking into the grocery store, the person Cowboy Cerrone cut off comes up to him and punches him in the face. So Cowboy Cerrone gets punched in the face by just some random civilian. Now in that moment, Cowboy Cerrone would be completely vindicated if he just smashed that person into the asphalt. But as the story goes, and as he tells it, he says, I looked at the guy, I smiled, and I said, that's your free one you will not get a second. And that was it, right? Because if someone says that to you, it's the same thing like if somebody starts putting in a mouth mouth guard and it's a street fight situation, like that's a crazy person. Like don't mm-hmm. fight that person, someone that walks around <laughs> with, an, with a mouth guard in their back pocket. But it was one of those moments where <clears throat> Cowboy Cerrone was perfectly capable, right? In that moment, but he meeked himself. <clears throat> yeah. He said, nope, nope. That was his freebie. This guy has no idea who I am and what I'm capable of, but I'm going to give him his warning. So I'm going to give him extra grace. So he didn't just respond in his, you know, his machismo and oh, I have to defend myself now. And this will be a great story to tell in the Joe Rogan experience later. But again, it's about having ep- equitable uh, parts to what you're doing to not be retaliatory yep. to an extreme degree. So it's that's personal. My it's personal retaliation. That's right. what we're going after. It's like, you know, let the law do what the law does. So this has nothing to do with like the death penalty. It's not saying, oh, well, you know what the Bible says, an eye for an eye, you know, Jesus talks against that. It's like, no, he really doesn't. What he's saying is, all right, somebody murdered my family. I can't go and go and murder the other people's family because that would be personal retaliation. Um, I need to let the law handle what's being done. I mean, we all daydream about it. That ever happened. Like, oh man, I want to go freaking Liam Neeson on those people. But that's not that Christ doesn't want you to go Liam Neeson on those people. He wants you to let the law do what it, what it's supposed to do and let God do what he's supposed to do. 
And so all I have to say is I would never mess with a guy named Cowboy Cerrone. No. <laughs> so like <laughs> your nickname like, is Cowboy. She didn't know that was his name. It's, it's kind of like cauliflower Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah you, you, I'm not gonna go like, oh man, I'm gonna go follow this guy and I see his cauliflower ear. I'm gonna yeah. walk right out. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a great <laughs> lesson to people. Yeah. I, I met a guy for the first time today. Both of his ears were busted up with cauliflower. I know he didn't get that from doing his taxes. And so like that's <laughs> yeah. that was one of those things. I knew nothing else about that person aside from the fact that if I fight that person, it's gonna hurt whether i win, whether i win or lose it's just flat out going to hurt me anybody else have anything on that before we move on to close out matthew 5 all right whoever wants to read it read I've 43 it. through 48 i'll read it you have it you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on just on the just and on the unjust. Or if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you not do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers, what more what more are you doing than others? Sorry. That's and if it. you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. So the last verse there, verse 48, that's, that's the standard. And as we've pointed out several times in this conversation, it's impossible, Yep. which does not mean we don't strive for the standard and that we have no standards, but I just got to tell you, like, I feel like we could have talked for an hour just on verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Mm. So I have someone that's very close to me who was going through a very, very rough time back in the day. And they would quote the scripture um, but then one day I asked him, I was like, are you actually, cause I knew the person they were talking about. I was like, are you actually praying for your enemies? Because you, you can pull the scripture out. No big deal. But he, he was so spiteful and so angry as he was quoting the scripture. And I was like, the way you're describing this is not indicative of what the command is. And you know, his answer wasn't satisfactory to that, but I'll just flat out speak for myself in terms of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Um, you know, I've, I've got a public profile. I got people that really don't like the things that I stand for and really don't like the things that I say. And for me, I just don't really, I don't even think about those people mm -hmm. to be honest, much and much less pray for them. So it's not like I'm hating them back. Like that, that's why I don't go in my comment section. If I see a comment that someone leaves on Facebook or Instagram, it's by accident typically, because it's like, I'm not going to give somebody free bonus space in my brain I talked to someone recently that was like, hey, I want to get a group of people together so like when a good Christian person is getting mobbed online, we can have like a counter mob that will go to their pages and respond and all that. And like I got what he's I got what he was meaning is like, hey, when Christians are being attacked, I want us to defend them. I want us to get in the phalanx with them. That was his point. But I remember being like, look, imagine if I spent all day stressed out about how I was going to respond to an Iranian robot. Right. Cause how do we know that's a yeah. person yeah. and you're sitting there like crafting this gorgeous response to a non entity. But even if they were a person, you're spending all this mental capital and you're giving people free reign in your brain. What if we just pause and said, man, I'm just going to pray for that person. Cause this doesn't say get down on your knees and pray for days and you know, you know, pray all these different things. It just says, pray for those who persecute you. So you say something online or you say something in public as someone is now persecuting you. Look at that as an opportunity to pray for them and move on. Like, that's what I tell people all the time. Like, just because you have access to my comment section does not mean you have access to my arguments. 
Like that does not mean that you, you don't, I had to explain to a guy in my DMs. Like I was like, look, bro, he was like messaging me about something specific during while I was on vacation with my kids. And he got mad that I didn't respond to him immediately. It's like, bro, just cause you can send me an DM doesn't mean you get to dictate when I respond to you. Mm-hmm. And the same thing here, if somebody says something mean to you or tries to persecute you in this way, like pray and move on. Yeah. I, I wanted to emphasize one thing here. When we talk about love, I, I can't stand what we have done to love in our society. We've oh, yeah. cheapened it so much. Uh, you know, I actually will say like the first time I said, I love you to my now wife it felt like the Holy spirit was literally pushing it out of me. And that feeling of like a biblical love is a sacrificial love. It is. Uh I am willing to lay down my life for you to die for you. That is love in the biblical sense. And yet we sit here and we've, I mean, I romanticize. Well, it's, it's, it's become about sexual gratification or I mean the, the idea of like, I love that new movie or I love that new song. We just throw it out there like it's nothing. This is a big deal. It's a big deal to to say you love someone as a Christian means something totally different. Totally totally different than the way that our society has decided to use this word. Yeah. I love Kyle. We've never had a romantic connection. So, you never offered. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Klondike bar. No, uh, no. Um, but no, I, I agree with you 100%. I feel, like the, I, I feel like love has been bastardized in our society to mean all these multiple things that really come, nothing comes back to self-sacrifice. It always comes back to me, me, me. We actually mm-hmm. discussed this in regards to marriage today and love. And I think uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed, uh, they brought up David and Jonathan. And like you see Dave, Jonathan take these oaths with David, these like, Hey, my house, you know, I love you, David. My house is going to love David. You know, we're going to create these, these, um, covenants with each other out of, out of love. And now you have people like, oh yeah, Jonathan and David were homosexuals. They had a homosexual relationship. Like just because David said, or Jonathan said, they said they loved each other. Yeah. Automatically. Yeah. That meant that they had sex. False. You know, it's like, no, I mean like I can, uh, I've told Kyle, I love him multiple times. Doesn't mean we had sex, you know? So it doesn't mean that guys. (laughs) But but that's what it comes nowadays. It's like, you know. Are we've cheapened love, like you said? It is. It's it's horrible. It's not self sacrificial anymore, and that's the kind of love he's talking about. It's yeah. going to be a self sacrifice to love our enemies. Well, in modern day, love is like super like. Yeah, so that, yeah. That, like that's what love is like. No, I super like you. Yeah, I love it's you. It's like, <laughs> no, like I, I forget who said it. Uh, it may have been Bill Burr again, but he was just like, when someone says that was amazing. They're like, was it literally amazing? It may have been Louis C.K., but it's like, do you know what that word means? You just said your your sandwich was amazing. (laughs) Like, did it put you in a state of amazement that you could barely function? That's what your sandwich just did for you. So yeah, we we live in an era where we're cheapening things, but I I know the post you're referring to, Ryan, and like that guy I think is just being a troll now. Like he's just trying to get a rise. He's like a self-proclaimed progressive Christian. He, on his website, he has integrity listed as one of his like, uh, 
like core competencies. He's like, you know, writing and uh, HTML integrity. And it's like, Oh, uh, is douchebag like right below that one. It's like, that seems to be like one of your skill sets, but apostate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Being an apostate, but guys, uh, uh one thing ahead. before you finish, I, up. I was going to say, I, I just say, more. I want to go. <laughs> Everybody gets one more comment. Derek gets the last one are going Ryan uh, Winkler, right. Derek, right. and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. I just want to go off 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I think throughout this whole conversation from the Beatitudes to uh, retaliation, oaths, sexual immorality, divorce, and how we talked about Christ, uh, you know, making it, pushing, pushing it out more. How did, how did you say it, Kyle? Like, uh, he wasn't adding, but. You were like extending the distance. Extending the distance. He was extending the distance and he's extending that distance for a purpose. That purpose is not because you're going to meet that. The purpose is to show that you, what you think, your idea of love and your idea of oaths and your idea of uh, right and wrong are, are not perfect as the father's. And so that's why you need a savior. So you're never going to reach that perfection. So this is not going to be on Ryan's point, but I, this is something just as I was reading through it, Keep in mind that Jesus is literally doing this just outside, disciples in front of him, crowds are gathering around. John the Baptist did the same thing. Peter did it at Pentecost. Paul did it at Mar- on Mars Hill to the Athenians. They're open air preaching, okay? And thank God the disciples, whenever at Pentecost, thank God they did not <laughs> hang a notice outside the door saying, tonight, gospel outreach service, all welcome self at 7 p.m. Okay, they went out. You have to go where sinners gather and share the gospel to that point. Salt and light, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to, you have to be involved in the environment. If you are going to, you're going to be separate from it, but you have to be involved in it. And so I think, you know, it's not enough, you know, and it's hard now, right? To do the open air preaching because where do you go? Where's the, where's the, where's the community square? And that's why I'm going, yeah, a podcast like this is kind of important because it is something that can reach people. YouTube's a public square. Social media is sort a public of. square. Yeah, kind of. Well, maybe a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Sorry. Filter, <laughs> you know, algorithms and all that. Uh, but the idea is you're going to have to find a way to reach people and in a society that is more isolated and withdrawn than ever. So you got to go where sinners gather. Yep. And you got to bring... Hey, hey, it's not your turn. No, no, you're cut off. You're done. You're done. Derek, Derek, bring us home. Talk for you. (laughs) You Don't even take mine. No, No, I'm good. Uh, First, I want to just say it's kind of cool. Matthew calls himself out. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Kind of going back to his uh, old uh, uh, job. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, I literally wrote down. That's kind of funny. He's saying that to a tax collector. And I'm just going to add going back to the Beatitudes. Uh, all eight of these are something we all need to be striving for. Um, and we're all going to be in, you know, different, uh, aptitudes or different areas, uh, as we continue to grow. Um, I heard this, uh, analogy or I don't even know what you would call it, but like my house, when we first moved into it, yard was grown up, weeds everywhere, grass was dead over the next three years, you know? Some of the grass is growing where the patches weren't there. The trees are a little trimmed up. We've got a few flowers now. So it's improving, but it's not like my neighbor's house who's been, been there for five years, 10 years, which is, you know, perfectly manicured and looks great. So it's easy for me. I mean, I guess now to judge 
others. Oh, I can't believe you're doing that. And like how many were saying earlier, five years ago, are you improved from where you were at? So uh, just kind of going back to the Beatitudes, I'm definitely not hitting all eight. And I maybe, you know, I'm a one on one of them, but man, I got to work on that. And it's going to be constant uh, going back and forth through each of them. I don't know, it's kind of hit me this week reading through those. One with the Beatitudes, we shouldn't look at it as a score sheet as much as a checklist because it's like, we're, we're not being scored, you know, zero to 10 on these. Yeah. It's yes, no. Yeah. And the reality is, is if it's no on any of these, guess you need a savior. And so it's like that, that makes it <laughs> yeah. a lot, a lot easier. But again, to, to reiterate a point that I think is so important, that doesn't mean we don't try. Right. It doesn't mean we don't strive just because it's not in your gifting or in your natural wiring. That doesn't mean that you're not supposed to strive for it because that's part of the fruit and we can get into a long discussion about fruit, but we're going to have to leave it there. But guys, come back here next Sunday where we are going to dig into Matthew 6. Make sure you are read through Matthew 6 so you're prepared for next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. The only link we've got for you is our donation link. Guys, we can't do anything without donors. We love our donors. Those are the people that do one-time donations, but especially our monthly donors because you are helping us create the content and get it out there to people that need this content so that they can push back darkness as well. Please hop on board with us. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song per Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>